National Poetry Day in the UK. I thought it might be a nice idea to put some poems together for those who like celebrating this sort of stuff. Yeah, in this programme there's there's going to be ten poems read by some really fantastic poets and me. Uh, first up we have Sarah Fletcher, then it's Rachel Long, the repeat beat poet, Nadia Drews, Mishi Maraf, Lizzie Palmer, Anna Khan, Travis Alabanza and Melissa Lee Horton. I won't go into it too much now because they all introduce which poems they're doing and, and by who before they read, so you'll be able to check it out then. The times that everyone's on will be in the description to this as well, so if you've only got time to listen to one and there's anything in particular, you can just skip forward to that. As always, you can find us at Luna Poetry Podcast on Facebook, Tumblr and Soundcloud, and now on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter at silent underscore tongue. I've chosen to read Hairdresser, from the story of No by Emma Hammond and that's published through Pending the Margins just because I was trying to work out what I wanted to read and some of the things that I wanted to read just would have been in, inappropriate in my voice um, it's tricky sometimes you can really respect certain poets and certain types of work but it would just be completely unacceptable for you to read it in public so <laughs> I've tried to find a balance with something that I really like which I do like, really like this poem and also it's going to be a bit of a challenge for me to read it because of the, the layout of it and the, the way it's written, but I thought it'd be interesting to try. Hairdresser. Instagram sounds okay, she say. Yes, I went there once or twice in my youth, I say. It was a bit like the 80s when groups of friends were still American. Oh yeah, she say, and looks at herself over my hair. I remember that. I went to see bands that weren't famous. Yeah, me too, I say. In the 90s it was the same. Remember t-shirts with pen on and lockjaw? We laughed. Yeah, we were crazy back then. I stare at my face. Nowadays, of course, I'm a grown-up. It means some things. Oh yeah, for sure, she say. Nowadays I have different outlooks with alternating colours in them. Death is close. Maybe I will have a staycation on, instead on Twitter. It's colder there, but with content. Nah, she say. Twitter is kind of dirty. I stare out the window and see a small dog in a hand-knitted jumper. The old crafts are back in. My hair is coming on. It is in a shape. My boyfriend is at war again, she says. He is asleep. She corrects her posture. Ages ago, he was a hunter-gatherer. Yeah, I say. I know what you mean. A song comes on. It say, do it, do it, do it, shake. I love this one, she say and moves her hips. An old lady is authentic in the corner. Seen any films lately? Say the man slightly to the left. Oh yeah, say my one. It was about how we're all the same and do the same things. Great, say he. You're not married, are you? He looks at me all vicious. No, I say. I'm married to myself. Laughter. At least you won't ever leave yourself, he say. No, I say. I will never forget my own anniversary. It doesn't quite make sense, but everyone laughs. It was quiet then, apart from do it, do it, do it, shake. And all suddenly awkward. The old lady takes out a handkerchief like a prop and blows out her ancient insides. 
The problem with you youngsters, she says, is that you get bored of things too easily. It's a pretty boring thing to say. I can't even finish an article, I say, let alone a life. This time nobody laughs. It really doesn't make any sense. Here's Sarah Fletcher. I'm Sarah Fletcher, and I'm reading um, the poem Incubus by Frances Leviston. And I like this poem because a friend read it to me the entire way through, and I forgot the name of it, so it took me a year to track it down again, and it's one of my favorite poems, Incubus. I've heard of it happening to other women, and other women say they've heard it happens, but that it could not happen to them, or that if it did, they would fight for justice, whatever it took. And I've heard of it taking several years to come to nothing, several years along with the rest. Since it happened to me, I've heard me saying I'd heard this sort of thing could happen to thousands of women, but I never thought it could happen to somebody such as myself. And then I heard me demanding justice, whatever it took. Now it is taking the rest of my life to come to nothing the rest of my life along with the rest. What seems to be the problem is this, that I was completely alone when it happened. I don't mean alone in the room with him, alone with him, I mean really alone, alone with nothing. There was no witness. I am a victim and cannot be witness. One must play one role or the other. If I bore witness, I'd not be a victim. He would be victim if he had been there. And if he'd been there, then he would be witness against himself, but I was alone, alone with nothing. The window was open, the wind and the rain were driving in, the facts of life lifting the curtains. And I was asleep, I don't know when. What happens now is I make a confession, confess, though I am the victim here, to having the most incredible dreams I believed were real as long as they lasted. To having had dreams I believed were ended when the end was only part of the dream, the part where you wake in your own bedroom glad to be woken, till the door creaks and whatever it was you were running from walks right in. I confess to reoccurring dreams in which my room is haunted that seem more real than my waking life. To a ghost that comes in the form of pressure, imprisoning me, my sternum and shoulders and thighs as if I were caught under glass. Here you will ask if I ever protested, pushed him away, or cried for help. If I fought my end, if I offered resistance, and made him aware of my lack of desire with words he could readily comprehend in the face of his power, tearing my slip aside without touching, without coming near. If I spoke, though I was unable to speak, or moved, though I was unable to move, unable even to turn my head in darkness, whether I happened to see a distinguishing feature or felt like revealing if he was a stranger or someone I know. And I'll tell you again that I witnessed nothing more than I've mentioned, and nothing less. I know what you're thinking. This isn't a crime. A crime requires a perpetrator to put in the dock, to accuse or defend, to finish the plot. But there's nobody here. Years ago, there would have been bodies. 
physical bodies at which I could point and call them up to account for their cells under my nails, their spit on my neck. But now they've learned to walk through walls. If I could give you a face or a name, we'd have a dynamic. And yet if I did, this still would not be considered a crime of a certain order, but something less. Something one should take on the chin. Something that could have been worse. Now, am I sleeping or am I awake? This court seems more like the court of a dream I visit each night improperly dressed, in which I am doomed to repeat myself. And in the repeating, I doom myself before these hundred unfriendly faces to find no relief in the fall of the gavel which never arrives. A dream, all right. A dream of running. The limbs refuse. The air resists with the slowness of water. The mind outpaces the body and sees a child falling but fails to react. As I saw what was coming but failed to react. Locked inside my sleeping body, I'll never release myself from that. Um, I'm Rachel Long. Um, I'll be reading Arda Collings' The News. I love this poem because um, it made me think that it's not just me that does weird things in front of a mirror. The News. At last, terror has arrived. Next door, the house has gone up in flames. A woman runs from the burning wreck, her face smeared with blood and ashes. She screams that her children are kidnapped. It's truly exciting. And what more would anyone ask? For a rare and beautiful egg to present itself in the grass. For sex with the liquor store owner to progress into something meaningful. You don't know what I've done in front of the mirror. I've pulled my shorts up high like a thong. I've walked back and forth doing little kicks and making faces. I've stopped. I've stared. I try to get my mind around the sight of myself. I make a face of great seriousness. I imagine that I've just received a large and upsetting piece of news. Then I look into my eyes. Can I guess what I am thinking? Can I tell you what it is? Hello, I am the Repeat Beat Poet uh, in the Libraria Bookshop in East London. This is a piece called Down to a Tea, written by a visual artist and spoken word poet called Spike Zephaniah Stevenson. Um, the reason why I chose this poem is because it's an ode to tea. It's um, one of the essential things that fuels my day. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that more people know about this poem specifically. Down to a tea. I'm a little teapot, not short nor stout. Too hot to handle, here's my spout. Old grey with a dash of milk or maybe go without, feeling zesty. Fetch me the lady of the house. I'll have a cup of oolong, don't let it brew for too long or it'll come out too strong, lapsang souchong. Rooibos is redbush in Afrikaans, you should try it if you haven't when you got the chance. A centre a day keeps dementia away, not to mention the way, it can strengthen the brain and when I'm feeling rough, full of phlegm in the winter, I whip myself up a cup of lemon and ginger with a bit of honey, like the Dalai Lama makes it. I wonder how President Obama takes it. Well he must like tea, he's Kenyan dammit, and they're among the top tier of tea producers on the planet, though to be fair, they're equally known for making coffee, so I'm not making a point, somebody should stop me. I make mistakes, yeah I'm only human, but I make a cup of tea like my name was Truman. 
I'll have an English breakfast at Tiffany's. Go lightly on the milk, just a little tease. Gee, darling, I'll have a Darjeeling. First flush, top shelf in the Far East wing. Ooh, I'll have a pu'er when I'm feeling fine. I like a chai when it's bye-bye sleepy time. Jasmine has been a friend to me, it was meant to be, she's the blend for me. But whether Assam or Russian caravan, give me tan in here. I can spare the liver damage, never drank a can of beer. And no coffee, I don't need the boost. It's not really my bag, I'll leave it loose. And if it's not a cup of tea, it's not really my cup of tea. I don't mean to be uppity, but this cup is my property. Like Doc Brown said, I'm the professor. I've had more blends than a food processor. You can check out my stash if you fancy popping in. I smoke Moroccan hash, will I drink Moroccan mint? Tea sayings are insane, they're not really tea. Their flavours are flowers and fruit shoots and leaves. Though they smell great, taste isn't impactful. The only one that matches up is Turkish Apple. But tea is at its best with a little accompaniment. Milk, sugar, lemony zest, whatever compliments. Scones or scones, the jury is out. But gimme jam and cream, homes, I ain't messing about. You could bake a little cake or if you don't want to risk it. Nip up to the shop, pick up a packet of biscuits. But which of these? You want crackers with cheese? Chocolate chip cookies? Please, gimme rich teas. Or digestives, a couple of packs. It's your prime directive to stock up on snacks while I heat up the kettle. Relax and kick back. Yo, kettle, it's popped. Can I call you black? My name's Nadia. And I'll be reading The Centre Ground by Niall O'Sullivan because I think it says what needs to be said in a really economic way. And I think it's dedicated to Tom Watson, The Centre Ground. The Centre Ground is where things will change eventually, just not quite yet. The Centre Ground seems to nudge rightwards year after year. The centre ground is where the lobster pot boils hottest. The centre ground gives you a lollipop after kicking you in the privates. The centre ground may have to modernise the lollipop policy. The centre ground is where the power lies, right there, start digging, keep digging. The centre ground is available for after dinner speaking at a reasonable rate. The centre ground will bail out a bank as long as it isn't a food bank. The centre ground turns democracy into a game of musical chairs played on one seat. The centre ground says you better tell us what happened before my partner gets angry. The centre ground is the slow lane on the right wing motorway. The centre ground is redrafting the party's core values. The centre ground can sing the red flag as loud as you can. The centre ground found 80s Russia more oppressive than boarding school. The centre ground is photographed catching the tube to where their car is parked. The centre ground is somewhere between Land's End and Hadrian's Wall. The centre ground wears a blue tie on Sundays. The centre ground can afford the affordable housing. The centre ground is where the herbivores head as carnivores scout the periphery. The centre ground guesses the correct amount of jelly beans in the jar. The centre ground says, get your own jelly beans. The centre ground is the spot where change is the least visible. I'll take the higher ground instead. My name is Mishy. I'm going to read Slough by Attila the Stockbroker, which he wrote, I believe, in the early 80s. The reason I'm picking it, it was a, he was defending Slough in, in a retort to the um, John Betjeman poem about come all you bombs on Slough and all that stuff. And the reason I pick it is because I'm from working class background. 
I grew up on council estates all over South London. And yes, they are shitholes, and a lot of South London is a shithole, but they're my shitholes and I'm proud of them. So this is called Slough by Attila the Stockbroker. Come tourists all and flock to Slough, as many as the streets allow. By bus or train, no matter how, come very soon. And lift forever the sad curse, once laid in dull sarcastic verse, by one whose poetry is worse than Mills and Boone. Sir John, oh, what a sense of farce, a poet of the teacup class, obsessed with railways and stained glass and twisted bow, and thus impervious to the call of the post-war suburban sprawl, of Harlow, Basildon and all, and glorious Slough. Oh Slough, harbinger of my dreams, home of a thousand trading schemes, and theme pubs patronised by streams of tetchy men. With blow-dried hair and blow-dried brain, diplomas in inflicting pain, and near a thought for larking rain and betjamin. A thousand jewellers' shops contend, the kitchen unit is your friend. Designer labels set the trend with a blank stare. And now the latest, brightest star, a brand new ten-screen cinema. The folk will come from near and far to worship there. Oh, self-made independent town, the jewel in Margaret's southern crown. No more will poets put you down with mocking voice. Come tourists all and flock to Slough as Milton Friedman takes a bow. This town is fit for heroes now. Come and rejoice. Hello, my name is Lizzie Palmer. Happy National Poetry Day. Uh, I'm going to be reading a poem by the Brothers Grimm. Um, I chose this poem because I've seen Chip perform a lot of times um, but I've only ever heard him read this poem once and there was something in it that I found really profound and moving um, which perhaps was amplified by the fact that I've never heard him read it again uh, but I really love it so I'll read that for you it's called Give Me No Love Give me no love, I just can't use it Give me no love, I'd only abuse it. Give me no love, I'd only lose it. Give me no, give me no love. Give me no such thing as society. Give me a drink, give me sobriety. Give me no, give me no love. Give me a place in this great meritocracy. Give me a real belly full of hypocrisy. Give me no, give me no love. Give me a breather, give me a break. Give me some, give me some give and some take. Give me the needle, give me the dope. Give me some hope against hope against hope. Give me asylum, give me a way. Give me a part in the play or today. Give me no, give me no love. Give me nowhere to run to, baby. Give me nowhere to hide. Give me a cause to die for. Give me God on my side. Give me the old, old story. Give me the cold, hard facts. Give me 21 days in Pentonville for not paying the damn poll tax. Give me chemical weapons. Give me the poxy clap. Give me more than I bargained for. Give me less of your crap. Give me some sense of the wider community. Give me protection. Give me immunity. Give me no, give me no love. Give me a nation at ease with itself. Give me my share of the national wealth. Give me no, give me no love. Give me some credit, give me some cash. Give me head, give me bed, baby, give me a bash. 
Give me the carrot, give me some stick. Give me, forgive me for being a prick. Give me a hit, give me a miss. Give me and take me away from all this. Give me no love, I just can't use it. Give me no love, I'd only abuse it. Give me a way out, I'm going to use it. Give me no, give me no love. Give me no love, cause I've had it before. Give me no love, I don't want anymore. Give me a window, give me a ledge. Give me some space, now I'm close to the edge. Give me a rush, and a push, and a shove. But give me no, give me no love. Hi, I'm Anna Khan. Um, David told me that I was allowed to say Happy National Poetry Day, so Happy National Poetry Day. Um, I'm going to be reading poem after Frida Kahlo's painting The Broken Column by Eduardo C. Corral um, because I think it's a brilliant kind of celebration of queerness and otherness and beautiful anger. Yeah. Poem after Frida Kahlo's painting The Broken Column. One, on a bench beneath a candlelit window whose sheer curtains resemble honey sliding down a jar, Carlo lifts her skirts. A brown monkey chews a tobacco leaf between her legs, tail brushing her thigh. A skirt falls, the hem splashes on the floor like urine. A ruby ring on her forefinger, no, the tip of a cigarette. Smoke rising, the long hair of an old woman drowning. Two. Once a man offered me his heart like a glass of water. No, once. Here's a joke for you. Why do Mexicans make tamales at Christmas so they have something to unwrap? A lover told me that. I stared into his eyes, believing the brown surrounding his pupils were rings like satins. I have to sit down to say this. Once a man offered me his heart and I said no, not because I didn't love him, not because he was a beast or white. I couldn't love him. Do you understand? In bed while we slept, our bodies inches apart, the dark between our flesh a wick. It was burning down, and he couldn't feel it. Three. Ask me anything. Four. I want to find the perfect shade of red. Say that. Five. A shadow drapes itself on an apple branch. Slow. Slowly. Jade moss on the trunk intensifies like applause. Wind braid wrapped around my neck, unravelling. Cold hair cascading towards my shoulders. Six. Ladies and gentlemen, once again I would like to begin with a wound. Joseph Boys. Seven. Diego sleeps. Green sheets pull down to his waist. A fly lands on his left eyelid, and for a moment it looks like one eye is open. A monkey jumps onto the bed begins to lick the sweat in the hollow of his chest. 8. Constellations of coins scatter copper and silver light onto the butcher paper taped above a dresser. Crystal pitcher full of milk, arranged with lilies. Torn sketch on the floor. Through the window, sky like a torn sketch of the ocean. Carlo glaring at a self-portrait, as if her gaze were responsible for holding it to the wall. 9. The perfect shade of red, the stain on an arrow pulled out of a dove. 10. 
Under the cold scaffolding of winter, my love took me for a walk through the desert, my breath crumbling like bread. Under the cold scaffolding of winter, my love took me for a stroll through the desert, my breath crumbling like bread. Under the cold scaffolding of winter, my love took me through the desert, my breath crumbling like bread. 11. Carlo undresses in front of a mirror, her spine a pouring of sand through an hourglass of blood, her hands clutching the linen draping the lower half of her body, her fingers lost in its pleats. 12. A mirror remembering water. Hi, my name's Travis Alabanza and I have picked Frank Ocean and All Black Things That Disappear On Their Own by Jonathan Jacob Moore and I think just at the moment it's a really important poem to be read and to be heard. You deserve time. Before the proverbial train hits and the album drops, you both prepare for the reactions. Molecure and digital, where this nigger at? He lived full and died empty. And ain't that what they say about you, Frank? You in hiding because the hook would Sodom and Gomorrah us. Some people practice becoming ash or we are in shock and loss. But you hate coming outside sometimes too, don't you, Frank? And you write in a song you never wrote, but I hear you sing it on the tracks or wherever you've taken up residence. Some days when my whole body hurts, the biggest blessing, the sweetest curse. So much to say, but not enough pen to paper. Or the blackest thing is dying empty and being filled to the brim. You have no time to ghost when you are all ready. You get back in the studio, still translucent, and you get off the tracks right before the album drops, right before you're shot at acclaim, and you could never get the ashes thing down. You are heavy, all hook, number one signal. Um, my name is Melissa Lee Horton and I'm going to read a poem by Luke Cannard from his um, collection by Pen in the Margins, Cain. Enter Cain. Doorbell sounds its over-eager quiz. An actual size, inflatable Frankenstein's monster is propped on my doorstep. I have a pin in my hand. I stick it in. Blam. Behind it stands Cain, his beard blocking out the sun. How did you know I'd have a pin? I thought you'd either be hovering over a world map or taking up the hem of your trousers, says Cain. Which? I was removing a photo of my ex-wife from the kitchen notice board. Ah, says Cain. The trouble is you have to live with every decision you make. He presents his papers. This is Kane. Everyone is very concerned about you. We have sent him to make sure you don't do anything stupid. Stupid? Probably a typo, Kane says. It's probably meant to say stupid. <laughs>